Welcome to Future Focus, the UK at Expo podcast series, where throughout the world's greatest show at Expo 2020 Dubai, we'll be celebrating the best of the UK's creativity, innovation and culture, with special guests offering exclusive insight into ways we can innovate for a shared future. In this episode, host Nick DeLeon talks to model, humanitarian and filmmaker Maria Adrizi. Known for being the first hijab-wearing model to be part of a global advertising campaign, Maria became the face of the so-called modest fashion movement and has appeared in campaigns for H&M and Fenty Beauty, among many others. She was on the cover of Emirates Woman magazine in 2018 and won the Young Achiever Award at the Arabian Business Awards in 2019. You're listening to the Future Focus podcast series with me, Nick DeLeon from the Royal College of Art. In What Will We Wear? and this series, I'm going to be in conversation with representatives from across the fashion sector. My guests include a designer, an academic, an innovator in retail, and a model that changed the face of fashion. <laughs> we'll be exploring how to transform the fashion industry for a better and shared future. Today, I'm with Maria Idrizi, the world's most known face of modest fashion and the first hijab-wearing model. And our topic is diversity and inclusivity in fashion. So, Maria, tell me a little bit about your journey into the world of fashion, because I, I understand you had other ideas in mind before you uh, had a serendipitous meeting at London's Westfield Shopping Centre. Hi, Nick. Thank you for having me as well. Yeah, well, this is about six years ago. I was working in a children's shop in Westfields and um, a lady came in, a casting director called Coralie. And I assumed when she said I'm a casting director, it was related to film because that was what I was building up towards. And she said, well, unfortunately, it's just fashion <laughs> because I looked so disappointed. And I was like, OK, well, I guess I could do an advert, you know, Um so yeah, went for the for the campaign, which I had very little information on because I mean, essentially I was just an extra in the background and it happened to be H&M. Um, it was a global campaign and it was to promote re uh, recycling your clothes and, and diversity within that. Um, so a few months after it had come out, I just remember seeing headlines saying, meet the world's first hijab wearing model. Wow. Yes, I remember laughing with my mom like, oh, you know. <laughs> Should I milk this and continue working as a model then? What, what were your other plans? I mean, what, what had you had in mind before this, uh, you know, Westfield encounter? <laughs> yeah. So I, I just finished uni. I was, that was my, you know, part-time job while studying. And uh, the plan was to just look for anything, you know, Netflix, BBC, wherever I can get a job that was related to the stuff I wanted to do as, as a writer and um, even in the world of animation. So I loved art, but I knew that there was too many technical skills that I couldn't do. So it was more, it was more writing I was really interested in. So a world in the media, uh, you know, well, it's, it's, it's still there for you, of course. Um, but <laughs> you kind of ended up in, in, in you know, the world of, of, of modeling. And, and how quickly did that happen? Because, you know, you were just, you know, 2015, there you were in H&M's campaign. Did it suddenly overnight? You kind of rocketed to, uh, to visibility, clearly. But did your modeling career take off as well? Yeah. I mean, most of it really was, it felt like it was just a bit of fame. It, it didn't really feel like a career initially because it was just that one job that I had done. And I, I was just going to loads of events, you know, doing loads of PR related things, but not actual work. And that was quite 
a difficult stage because, you know, I, I gave up my job and everything because it just literally changed my life overnight. And then the brands turned around and were like, yeah, we'll get in touch when there's something relevant. I was like, relevant, you know, because wearing a hijab still wasn't. That's not relevant. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was, you know, it, I guess they felt like if you wear a hijab, whatever it is that I'm going to be a part of needs to make sense to the fact that I wear a hijab, which obviously we're overcoming now and, and things definitely have changed over the past six years um, with more Muslim women, like visible Muslim women um, in fashion campaigns and stuff. So it has changed. But initially it was it was really tough because people still didn't get it, you know, and I started to feel like, was, was it just a gimmick, you know? Yeah. But I mean, you, you, there you were on the cover of Emirates Women's Magazine in 2018, the Young Achiever of the Year Award as well, um, you know, in 2019. So things changed really fast in, in a way. I mean, I, I know at a relatively young age, that might seem like a long, long time for you. But suddenly there you were kind of catapulted to becoming, you know, the, the visible face of, let me call it kind of modest fashion. But th this isn't just something that's relevant to the Muslim world as well, is it? No, not at all. I had a lot of um, Jewish brands in New York and, and other parts of the world that were sending me clothes and, you know, Orthodox Christian women as well following me. So it was just opening up to a whole world that I... I I didn't really know knew existed because I wasn't active on social media or anything like that. I, th I think a lot of people thought I was scouted because of my Instagram profile, but but I was private with like a couple hundred followers, just you know, friends and family. What what it used to be, I guess. Uh, so, it, yeah, it was a definitely a different world for me. But at the same time, because I knew the path I was you know walking on was towards media and you know film, TV, entertainment. Anyway, it wasn't too different, but it was still, yeah, a different space entirely. Yeah, I, I suppose you were kind of moving from one end of the kind of supply chain of all the, your idea had been to kind of create and produce things. And now in a way you were finding yourself almost the product of that, but, but not an inanimate product. You were, you, you were speaking out. You became a spokesperson in a way for this world of modest fashion as well. It gave you a different kind of platform. How did that feel? Yeah, that was incredible. I think it really hit me when I did a TED talk. So it was a TEDx teen talk in the O2 in London. And um, I just remember literally before I went on stage, they were like, oh, we've hit like this many million people watching online. Good luck. And I was like, oh my God. I've, wow. I've never, done, <laughs> I've never done a public speech on a stage like this before, let alone, you know, with millions of people tuning in or something. So that was crazy. And that, and that made me realize as well, how many people were really affected by this, not just in fashion, but also Muslim women around the world, um, just living their day-to-day -day lives who are battling wearing the hijab um, or because of, you know, political reasons, they couldn't wear their hijab. And it was like, this is, this is a really big deal. And it started to make me think more about sustainable fashion as well, because then, you know, because the campaign I had done was around sustainability and, and promoting recycling your clothes that opened another window. So was, there was just so many parts of the world. I, I never, you know, so many, so many different types of people while I never knew um, existed. And also the traveling, I, I started traveling a lot more. Uh, and that was because I guess it was an international campaign. And I remember people in Colombia and South Korea calling me for interviews. And 
I was like, this is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so you must have seen very, very different attitudes around the world as well to this, mm. both in terms of kind of diversity and inclusivity, as well as towards more modest fashion. I mean, are there any kind of highlights within that where you saw really huge differences? I mean, you know, here we are at kind of UK Expo and, and we're kind of facing the world and talking to the world. Mm. But I mean, did you feel that as you went to Colombia and other places around the world that attitudes needed to be accelerated in some places and uh, and in others that they got the they got the wrong end of the stick altogether well unfortunately I never got to go to Colombia I wish that oh. was just it was just <laughs> it was just over the phone but um yeah that I mean Colombia actually was one of the places that really were trying to understand um I guess in the UK the 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 view around the hijab because you know with catholic countries women generally speaking you know it's not it's not not normal to to cover up but for fashion and and being in the UK, if you've never been, you just have this this image that you, that would never be acceptable. And um, they really just wanted to know, I guess, what it was like for me as a Muslim growing up over here. And same with in America, I actually had a larger following in America than I did even in the UK, which is interesting. Yeah. Also, I guess it picks up on two different themes here. One is that this kind of attitude to diversity and inclusivity. Yeah. And the second one is just the, the, in general, the kind of modest fashion movement, if, if movement's the right word mm. for it. Maybe it's just being respectful to, to um, different forms of individuality and expression. Yeah. But if we look at this diversity, do you think that, how can I put it? We see kind of a bit of greenwashing around. Not, not just this sector, but many sectors in industry where people want to jump on the environmental bandwagon. Do you, do you begin to see or do you feel there is some of that still in terms of diversity and inclusivity? Do we need to go much further in the fashion industry? And what do you think we ought to be trying to do to achieve that? I think now, I guess understanding more in depth what diversity means, because it is such a a deep conversation and and we, you know we've started those conversations and and it is being executed but there's still so much learning and unlearning to do within that in regards to climate change and the environment and sustainability obviously fashion has such a big impact on that so i think that's another really important conversation i know it's been happening obviously for years but i think to connect these pieces together uh could be really good which is what I guess partly what I'm trying to do with with my community, where it's raising awareness of of a wider issue, you know, using I guess people from specific demographics to target specific demographics, and you know, it, it creates I think more of an impact that way than someone else that you're not too familiar with or, or can't relate coming and telling you about something you need to change in your lifestyle. It never really works that well. I suppose in a way, fashion is a very interesting thing because we're all, we all make choices every day about what we're going to wear, what we're going to be out in the street. It's, uh, it's something that it inspires a, a young people. It's a tremendous vehicle mm. to be able to get conversations going on about lots of other things, about closing the loop in terms of environment, materials, products, and production. It, it's a, a tremendous platform to be able to talk and engage people yeah, about issues of diversity and inclusiveness as well and creating a more equal and equitable society as part of it. And you're in a very privileged role in, in this. How do you feel this is actually going down with the fashion industry itself? I mean, do you think it's embracing these concepts of diversity and inclusivity anywhere near enough right now? I think 
They are. I mean, in the UK, again, I, I feel privileged because it's such a diverse multicultural, well, London specifically is so multicultural that I never really felt left out or, or awkward about, you know, the way I looked. It actually only um, hit me that, oh, I'm a little bit different when I got scouted for, for the campaign because I realized I was being used specifically because I wore a hijab and, you know, I had, I guess, in terms of mainstream fashion, a, a different look to what was already out there. But growing up, I actually, I never felt different. And I grew up in Brent as well, which I think was one of the most diverse boroughs in the country even. So yeah, it never really was a, an issue then. It was more when I got into this scene, I realized, oh, wow, there's, there's so much work to be done. And even now moving into TV and film, I don't know if you've seen Riz Ahmed, he's doing uh, like creating a movement around Muslim representation in TV and film. Yeah. And that that's something that I've also been banging on about because growing up, um, partly why I didn't pursue drama and I moved more into writing and, and studying uh, film and TV was because I wore a hijab and there wasn't any roles for me in, in anything in film or TV. I never saw really anyone that looked like me unless I wanted to play like, you know, terrorist wife number two or whatever, <laughs> like very, oh, very limited. <laughs> So it wasn't, there wasn't much going. And I just thought, you know, rather than give up entirely on, on my passions because of the lack of diversity, it's just creating your own lane. And I, I think the whole H&M thing was, was really spiritual, actually, because I had battled with my hijab growing up. And, and it was my choice as well. I started wearing it when I was about, let's say, 17, 18. And um, before that, when I was doing drama and it wasn't an issue because I wasn't wearing a hijab, as soon as I put it on, it was like my whole world has changed now because everything I've dreamed of doing, it doesn't seem a reality. And and then the H&M campaign came about and it was like, wow, I'm actually being chosen to do something because of the hijab. Yes. So it went, yeah, from one end to the other. Uh, and then it was like, oh my God, now I really can't take it off because <laughs> that's what they know me for. <laughs> yeah, it, it, that raises a lot of very interesting questions because... There were you probably um, that day in Westfield Shopping Centre looking absolutely fabulous in your hijab. And someone came along and saw you as being able to add to the H&M campaign, the fashion industry campaign. But, but the day-to-day -day issues of diversity and inclusivity that face and, uh, or the lack of it and kind of inbuilt biases means that you, you, you were the lucky one because of other attributes as well. And, and you, those are the kind of things that we need to tackle, I guess. And you, you must see that amongst your friends and uh, the conversations that you have more generally mm. on this topic. And, you know, the, the fashion industry, which is such a visual and visible representation of our culture, yeah. clearly needs to change. What kind of changes would you like to see? You know, we've started this journey, but we've obviously got to go a lot further. Mm. I think it's attitudes around things. So I was never really into like fashion hauls and just overconsumption. I'm a bit of a minimalist at heart. It might be because I have very mild OCD and I like things to just be tidy and organized. It just helps me think properly. And I think that affects so many different areas of my life. And, and even fashion, I don't like to have an excessive amount of, of clothes or shoes or anything. I'd, I'd rather you know, recycle or, or give to charity stuff if I know I'm just not going to wear it. And it's not to say, oh, I'm such a great person. It's literally because I just don't like clutter. <laughs> so I'd, yeah. I'd rather just <laughs> keep things, you know, clean and organized. And and why not, 
you know, make something good of it then in that way. And I think promoting that attitude around a more minimalistic lifestyle and appreciating less and, and quality over quantity. Also, I guess people looking into the actual effects of what fashion is doing, not just to the planet, but people, you know, I, I guess, even if you, you don't consider yourself an environmentalist, but, you know, at least be compassionate to, to other humans. I think we all have that in us and, and doing a little bit more research and having that access to information out there and, and being promoted. So this is where I want to tie in, I guess, film and fashion as well. Kind of reconnecting in a way with some of your um, dreams and aspirations before that walk into Westfield that, you know, you, there you were as wanting to become a, it, um, being able to be in the film industry, being able to be in other media. Mm. And maybe the fashion world is, is helping you get there um, as part of it. But we covered a number of different topics there because we also cover the kind of environmental impact that the fashion sector has as well your your move to being um not just modest in what you wear but also modest in your consumption patterns yeah. as well exactly yeah. I'd love to explore that a little bit more with you you know um what do you think you you know because you, you you must be connected with so many friends and we'll also have lots of people here that are listening into this saying don't be too modest with your consumption my business depends on you consuming all of this stuff yeah <laughs> Yeah, that's I mean, that's also the battle because it just means I guess some brands won't really make sense for me to work with. But then I guess um, it just opens up other opportunities with other brands that that have the same you know message as me that they're trying to put out there. And that goes back to my whole minimalist attitude. I'd rather, again, have quality in terms of the people I work with than than quantity. So everything, I guess, reconnects to that message. Of, of just having a more simple, yeah, a simple, modest life in, in many different ways. Also, I guess with, with the hijab, specifically as, I mean, it is a religious garment, I guess changing the, the attitudes around how people see it, I, I think slowly, slowly that is working. Well, mostly where I'm, where, where I'm from here in the UK, then I can't speak for the whole world. But here, you know, it's become more normal to see women in hijab because you've got them plastered on billboards and campaigns. And, yes. you know, so, so it's not, it's not something crazy anymore. When I, I mean, to think that just six years ago, having one second in an advert created so much hype. And then now it's, it's just normal, you know? It is remarkable, actually, the power of, of these images and, and, as you say, the kind of repeated usage of these images as well that, that have that capacity to kind of change our attitudes. Um, what, what, what do you think consumers, what could we do to encourage fashion brands and perhaps other brands as well, but to embrace this greater diversity? Because, um, you know, there's a lot needs to be done, both in terms of who they employ, what their product or offer is, uh, how you engage with it through the retail or marketing or consumer experience. So what about this kind of consumer power? What do you think we can do? What should we be doing for all those people who love the world of fashion, love the world of media, but also want to make sure that these companies are living up to the environmental and uh, social values that, uh, that they no doubt will proclaim? So I think, um, I mean, I guess there's like different groups of people you know you've got the people in the brands and you've got the influencers or celebrities and then you've got uh you know people who just love fashion <laughs> and wear and people that just need to wear clothes in general which is i think most of us in the world so you know you've got all these different groups and i guess they all could take on a different type of responsibility 
I mean, with with my group, so, you know, and the whole influencer, celebrity, that world, I would say, again, if your job is to influence or inspire people, I think it should always keep in mind towards good. And sometimes I guess the lines between good and bad can be can get blurred. I think in this case, it's it's pretty clear if what you're doing or what you're promoting isn't and that's including myself as well, because obviously I'm, I'm still on this journey, isn't, you know, helping the environment or, or, or um, you know, raising awareness of what's happening to, to people in the people that are making our clothes. I just feel like it, it's, it's meaningless. <laughs> it's just literally money. And then if it's just money, you, you know, what's the point of having a position of authority? Because anyone can, you know, just go out there and, and make money. But if you, if you're, if you're doing something that, has that impact and you have that position to do something, I always feel like the choice should be towards good in whatever it is. And I mean, that's just my opinion, obviously. There's, 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 you know, some people it's just fun, but again, with, with, what is that, that saying, you know, when you have power, you have responsibility and, and that's just the way it is. Even if people want to neglect it, I think that's just how human nature looks at things. I was thinking that, you know, what, what you're kind of really focusing on, thinking about all those different elements here, is that, you know, um, businesses can generate and create prosperity, but they must do so in a way that also brings prosperity to people, to planet, and do it with purpose. Mm-hmm. And that purpose has to be a purpose that's positive. I've got a lot of P's in that, but <laughs> as part of it. But th- th- this kind of concept of being strong to your own values, mm-hmm. you know, um, as an influencer, let's say you know, that you are values led in what you do. Yeah. Not just about, you know, creating personal value, but it's actually inspired by your personal values. Yeah. That you want to resonate with people. You know, um, we've all got to leave this world a little bit better than we found it. And I think that always means perhaps a little bit wiser. So let's concentrate on truth and knowledge, uh, a little more harmonious, which is about beauty and uh, about good. That's it. I just feel that is the one thing that we can universally agree on as humans is, you know, we want to leave the earth better than we came here. And and that's religionless. That's, you know, cultureless. It's just our nature. That's, that's, I think, what our responsibility is for this planet. And also, again, so, I mean, yeah, the other, the other box is, is the brands. I do think the way that we've seen so many things, you know, politically change and um, in other ways change because it starts from the top fashion could follow the same route. I mean, if we really want to create change, yes, as much as, you know, the general public and the influencers and whoever else can make an impact, really and truly, it sometimes it just starts from the top. You know, if they just say, that's it, we can't use this product anymore. I mean, now, you know, people are complaining about drinking Capri Sun with, with paper straws. <laughs> it wasn't someone on the street, or maybe it was, but I don't think it was someone on the street who just you know, peeled off all the plastic straws and started selling paper ones. It came from the top. It came from the brand where that's it. If you go to the store, you're just, you're going to have to drink out of a paper straw now, um, whether the people want it or not. And I think fashion, if things are really as serious as, as, as they are, they, then we should be making some serious changes. And as much as we can rely on people to change attitudes and change consumption and, and the way we live, if it's that drastic, then it should change from the top. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the top five firms, I think uh, I was looking at their market cap this morning and uh, I think Louis Vuitton, as of today, is worth 342 billion euros. Um, uh, you know, um, uh, Nike, 258 billion uh, going, you know, it's going some. Uh, Adidas, 70 billion euros. Um, Inditex, so Zara and all the rest. I mean, you know, that's worth um, just under 100 as of this morning. So, you know, you, you, you look at these companies and you could say probably the top five or six between them are worth nearly a trillion dollars. Um, this industry is a, a three and a half trillion dollar industry um, worldwide. I mean, it's, it's as kind of it's as big as Germany. And GDP. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's what I'm saying. With with all that that power, basically, I mean, it comes responsibility. Yeah, it just goes back to the same thing, and that's from you know your everyday person to you know these multi-trillion pound industries. It's it all comes with responsibility. What you've been able to do with kind of um, one second or a little bit more, I'm sure it's slightly more than that in the great close the loop ad of H and M from 2015, which. For, for listeners to this podcast, if you've not seen it yet, go and Google Close the Loop, H&M 2015. You can watch it on YouTube. Other streaming services are available, of course. <laughs> but in one second, you, you, you changed the face in terms of issues of inclusivity and diversity to stop people feeling as though they didn't belong. They were part of this. They were given permission to, to be able to be the way they wanted to be. And I think that's incredibly powerful. And it also shows the power of fashion uh, as an industry uh, with its visibility to be able to make important social and environmental change. And as we know from this series that environmentally, um, you know, the fashion industry has a bit of a challenge to say the least in this. And so, you know, you bringing a focus to this is hugely, hugely important. Yeah, I mean, fashion is super influential and not just, you know, in, in our day now with media, but just in history. I mean, if we look, if we look back at, you know, different timelines, I, we can recognize things by fashion. You know, if, if you can't tell, oh, when was that dated? If you look at clothes, you can work it out. You can figure out, oh, yeah, that was, you know, early 1900s. That was the 50s. That was this. So fashion and fashion, I, when I, it's not just obviously clothes, it's, it's, everything it's just style you know makeup jewelry hair so everything yeah within that space we we know there is such a massive influence and I think now it's just about shifting the influence from I guess being superficial to having a little bit more substance and and again there's always been people that have been shouting about that for for many years but I think because of social media and you know the world of influencers and stuff it can sometimes overshadow the the message because if everyone's following the trend of just you know sh- showing off materialism, we just need to change that trend to something you know a little bit more substantial. <laughs> <laughs> well, we we talked about the brands, we talked about the influences, but you know, to me, a lot of power has moved to the consumer. You know, uh, if yeah. if you think about the on the left hand side of the page is the uh, uh, the brands, uh, the influencers accelerating the brand's capacity to reach consumers to the right hand side where the consumers sit. The right hand side of the page has all the money to spend. You know, it, all the money comes from the right-hand side of the page where the consumers sit. You know, we, we are the ones. So um, what's interesting for us is how we can start to do things differently as well, because that clearly has a big impact 
on it. Uh, you know, yeah. and I, I just wonder if you've got um, any thoughts as well about what uh, we as consumers, and clearly you're a great spokesperson getting voices out there, but what we as consumers need to be thinking about. So, I mean, for myself, I guess I try to, you know, wear things over and over again, even online. So I don't have shame in, you know, people recognizing maybe a, you know, a, a denim jacket or something that I've had for many years. Um, even same with, with where I get my stuff from as well. So I do like vintage. Um, I like, uh, you know, things that are, are not necessarily huge brands, but just boutique, boutique kind of brands as well. Uh, and also when I'm, when I'm sent clothes, I don't, again, just wear it just to promote and never wear it again. I'll, I'll specifically, you know, wear things that I know I actually like as so, so that I can wear it again. Um, I guess encouraging as well between friends, even just sharing clothes. So there's so many different ways of sustainability. It's, it's not just because like I said, there is the, the impact on, you know, the environmental side, but then there's also just being able to reuse things. So if the material that you're wearing isn't necessarily good, but you've had something for years and you want to change your lifestyle, it doesn't necessarily mean, oh, you, that's it, you've got to get rid of everything. It could be that you just, you know, swap clothes with your friends so that it's not going to waste. Yeah. Um, again, giving things to charity, we're working with organizations and, and organizing, you know, collecting clothes and, and giving, distributing it. So there's so many different angles around it, aside from just the actual materials that are being used. I think you point to a great thing as well here, which is this kind of idea that you can do this locally. You don't need a global brand to start doing something. You, you yourselves can get together in your community and just start swapping things, yeah. extending the life of things. <laughs> My wife, her, her mother had the most fabulous cocktail dresses, you know, from the 1950s. And, and, and those have kind of resurfaced now as being so incredibly glamorous. And thank goodness, the material and everything else that we're made from was just so immaculate, so amazing yeah. that they just kind of go on and on. And I think this idea of being able to see greater reuse, reutilization, um, creating communities that exchange. I mean, you know, I was just thinking we're all emerging from the pandemic right now and leaving the world of Zoom to actually be out there. Um, you know, maybe some people listening to this podcast actually in Dubai who are at the expo right now uh, listening to this and who've bought a wardrobe for the purpose of this. But we can, we don't have to go out and buy a lot of new things. And, and apologies to the fashion industry who want to sell us more things, <laughs> but you're just going to have to sell us better things that we want to keep forever. You can charge us a bit more for them. Yeah, exactly. That's the I think I think part of the problem is what, when I speak to people about this is is they find that sustainable options are a lot more expensive and yeah. that's I think what really puts people off. I think if it was within the same kind of price range as, you know, high street clothes then it might make people, you know, more turned on to change, but then at the same time maybe it's not that they're set so expensive, maybe the things have been set so cheap. <laughs> it could be the other way around that we've become so accustomed to paying so little when that's not actually what the cost really should be. And again, it just goes back to, well, if it, if the cost is high and we can't afford as much as we want, then maybe it is about being clever and buying less and just reusing, rewearing, sharing, you know, doing all that stuff. But the reality is, it's again, it's the attitudes around fashion. People don't want to do that.
Well, I think you're getting the message out there, telling us about how you are modest in your acquisition of fashion as well, not filling a wardrobe up. With my students, I've, I've taught them about, I would like you to just um, take every pair of socks. A pair will count as one item and a pair of gloves as one item, not two. But just go out and tell, write down a number of how many items of clothing you've got, then lay them out on the floor and then just see what you really have. They think it's going to be in the hundreds. It's more, I'm afraid to say. The things we don't buy. So we've got to get that out. We've got to kind of start thinking much more, obviously, about that. Yeah, even I remember my mom saying she was like, she only had a few. I mean, my mom was super fashionable back in, you know, the 70s, 80s. She, I'm sure she's still today. She is. <laughs> but then she, she said she only had a few shoes a few handbags, everything was, you know, she could literally count. It wasn't in the hundreds at all. And yet she was constantly admired and, 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 and spotted for her fashion taste, even though, you know, she was wearing the same things. It's just, I guess, styling things differently. And, and that's really what fashion is about. If you truly consider yourself someone fashionable, it's, it's about being creative then. It's not wearing certain names or, you know, obviously that can play a part if it looks good. But in general, that's what the brands are looking at you for. They're looking at, at you to get ideas for their brand because you have that creativity and you should be able to, I guess, put anything together and, and start something and isn't, have to, you know, <laughs> brands are going to be upset, but I mean, I'm just being, this is just the truth. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, that's what this is all about. Authenticity. Now, one final point for you as well. I know that you are involved in a lot of other human rights issues as well. Uh, and I was looking at what you were doing with Syrian women and, and, and some of the other charities, including the orphanage you're involved with. I mean, tell us a little bit about that, because I think this is important as someone coming from the fashion industry to recognize you also can make a larger humanitarian input as well and using your influence for that. Mm, I think a lot of what I, I do now is is just maybe on a bigger scale to, to what I used to do, except for modeling, which is obviously something very new and, and, and that stuff. A lot of my day-to-day -day is what I was originally doing anyway. It's just I get to do it, you know, either being paid or, or, with, or with companies and brands that I've always wanted to work with just on a bigger scale. So like, for example, charity work. Um, I, I used to volunteer for a charity called Human Care Syria that my friend worked at. And uh, then obviously when the H&M campaign came out, I was just able to use my platform to promote that charity even more and be an ambassador for them and then work with other grassroots charities as well as as big ones. And yeah, just just connecting the right brands and the right organizations to me so that everything is genuine. And I, I think it's more difficult to be fake than just to be yourself. So I just don't want to, I don't want any headache. <laughs> so it's literally just, yeah, evolving what a lot of the things that I was, was already doing. And, and now I work closely with one main charity, which is, which is Help Your Team. And um, that's, that's the travel, the charity I just most recently traveled with. I went to Kenya in April. Tell us a bit more about that charity as well, Help Your Team, because I, um, you know, I, this is the orphanage, I think, isn't it? So help your team. Yeah. So your team in Arabic means orphans. So it's specifically for orphans and uh, they, they have a base, you know, here in the UK, but also in Kenya, Somalia, uh, Ethiopia, um, Gambia as well. And uh, they, they focus around, yeah, orphans and, and looking after the women as well and, and the men who are supporting those orphans. So taking care of that. And 
what I was doing in Kenya was raising money for a boys' orphanage because um, El Walidain, which is a centre there, the man and his wife who who started it just needed funds to make a boys' version because they had the girls' orphanage, the girls' school, the first free hospital in Kenya as well, actually, which is incredible, and um, and a mosque. So he had all of this on one site, and Help Your Team just teamed up to to raise money for the boys' orphanage, and that's what we went out there for to to film and try to to get some money so they can finish it. Maria, you are truly inspiring. It's been an absolutely amazing uh, privilege and experience today just talking to you about the, you know, your personal journey and, and how far you've, you've come in it. You know, I, I think we've left some messages for the, the big brands that are listening. You've got great power. You also have a, a big responsibility to people, to planet, and to do things with true purpose as part of it. We've, we've had a message to influencers to be values-led. Think about the values you really want to support, what your personal values are, and those come above personal value creation. We've talked about consumers, about you know, being um, not, not just uh, uh, thinking about what they're going to wear, how they're going to appear, and what fashion means perhaps in that sense, but to be, use their power as consumers, to be modest in their consumption. Um, to think about sharing, to go local, to go um, to make perhaps a, a global movement, but that happens locally because you share your clothes, you do some practical things. I mean, it's been really rewarding talking to you today, Maria. Uh, thank you so, so much. Thanks for listening to Future Focus, the UK at Expo podcast series. Look out for more podcasts in the series or subscribe on your preferred podcast platform. And if you want to stay up to date with all things UK Pavilion, links to our social media channels can be found in the episode description.